Hey, future preacher. That's one of the things that uh, helps if the microphone's on. Uh, that's one of the things I most look forward to over the course of ministry, if God so blesses it, is to see kids like Eli grow up in our church and uh, one day be behind this pulpit preaching their first sermon and going out and planting their own churches and things like that. I don't know if that's what God has for Eli or not, but he might. And uh, he might have it for some of you in this room. In fact, uh, this is a great sermon transition. Uh, how many of you would say that you feel like you are called to be a preacher? Just raise your hand if you feel like you might be called to be a preacher. Okay, got a couple hands. Uh, well, that was actually a trick question, because if you're a Christian, the truth is, is you are already called to be a preacher. We are all called to be preachers. Now, you're not all called to be preachers like me, and we can thank God for that, right? You all don't want to stand up here. Uh, some of you would rather die than stand up here in front of everybody else, and that's fine. That's not for everybody. Some of us are called to vocational preaching, but we are all called to proclaiming the gospel. If you are a Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized into the church, you are a preacher. And God will orchestrate your whole life so that you have opportunities to proclaim the gospel to people. And for some of you, you might only have one opportunity. There might be just one person in your path that God has orchestrated their life in such a way and your life in such a way that you guys would come together at the right time so that you could give them the good news of Jesus Christ. Or you might be somebody who preaches to a ton of people. Thousands of people hear the gospel because of what you have said. But no matter how many, whether it's a little bit or whether it's a lot, you have been called to be a preacher. In fact, that's where we're at today as we uh, finish our introduction to the book of Ephesians. I say finish. I hope we're finished after this. I don't know. We'll see. I've got like seven different sermons in my head right now, so we'll just kind of see where this crazy thing goes. Uh, but we're coming to that seventh and final step as we look at God's master plan for world domination. Now, the problem with preaching the book of Ephesians is theologians call it the distilled essence of the Christian religion. So when I give you an introduction on Ephesians, I'm trying to give you an introduction on the entire Bible, which is a little bit challenging for me to do in 30 minutes each Sunday. But we have tried to do that, and there's seven steps. The first uh, six, if you remember, uh, which I'm sure you do because you guys memorize my sermons, uh, the laughter hurts. Number one, when God wants to change the world, what we see is that God sends a preacher. He sends a preacher. It looks like me. It looks like you. This is how God changes the world. He sends a preacher. The preacher makes a declaration. That's what the gospel is. It's not advice. It is a declaration. It sounds like this. In Christ, you personally, you are forgiven. That's what the declaration sounds like. The declaration then, number three, demands a response. People will respond to a declaration like that. Not always how you want. In fact, often how you don't want them to respond. And this is why so many of us are scared to be preachers. Because how are people going to respond when I tell them something like that? They're coming to me asking for advice. And instead, what do I do? I look them in the eye and I say, yeah, yeah that's fine. All that about your marriage and stuff. But in Christ, you are forgiven. And the problem is, is a lot of people get mad because they're like, who are you to forgive me? I don't want forgiveness. I want advice. Or, or they think, okay, that's fine. Your forgiveness thing. I don't know. It has to do anything to do with what I was telling you, but thanks for the forgiveness anyways. But sometimes what happens when we preach the gospel, we plant the seed, it goes into the soil and it produces faith. And that's what we see. Step four, people who respond with faith are saved by grace. And by the way, sometimes you've got to preach to people a hundred times the same message before that actually takes root. Uh, there's a preacher named Paul Washer. He talks about uh, this guy who had been in his church for several years and was not a Christian. Several years had heard the gospel each Sunday. And he was sitting down with him and he was reading John 3.16. And he told him, hey, why don't you read John 3.16 out loud? Probably the 1,000th time this guy had heard John 3.16. And he started shaking and crying. And Paul's like, what? what's wrong? Why are you doing that? He said, can you not read? It says here I'm forgiven. And Paul's like, yeah, I've been telling you that for like 20 years. 
But it wasn't until that moment that the conditions were right for the gospel to be heard, for him to respond in faith. And that's exactly what happens. People who respond in faith are saved by grace. And then number five, we said those saved by grace are made new. You're not better. You're born again, a new creation. And the good news is God can create out of nothing. He's not chiseling away to make you his perfect creation. There's nothing there. You're a big pile of manure. He's taking you from this big pile of manure, and he's building new life out of you. That's what we said. Uh, Go back and and listen to the sermon if you want to understand that illustration. Uh, I don't have time to provide context. Number six, uh, and this is where we've been for uh, three weeks. Those saved by grace live to bring praise to his glory. This is what we actually do as Christians. We live to bring praise to his glory. Uh, so, So I do that by passively praising God for what he's done, proclaiming to you the good things he's done in my life for me. And then I also do that actively by living in such a way that people look at me and they say, why do you live that way? What is going on? So then I can turn back and I can give that praise back to God. That's what we talked about in step six. And now step seven, the most terrifying of the steps, the step we all want to run from, and that is those who praise God become preachers sent by God. We become preachers sent by God. And uh, so I'm going to pray. And then what I think I'm going to do is we're going to look at two different stories in the New Testament. Uh, We're going to look at a bad preacher and we're going to look at a good preacher. And I want you guys to be good preachers. When you get the opportunity to be a preacher, I want you to preach like the good preacher does. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father God, we thank you so much for the way that you've loved us. God, thank you that you include us in your plan. There are a million different ways in which you could accomplish that which you want to accomplish, that the knowledge of your glory would be known throughout the whole earth. God, I could come up with 10 ways that would be easier than the way you've done it, but that's not what you want to do. You want to work with and through us. So you've made us preachers. You've made us proclaimers of the gospel. God, would you give us the courage to be able to do that? God, would you help me speak in such a way today that people would not only leave this place knowing that they can be preachers, but that they would want to be a preacher, that they would want to give absolution to somebody in their lives. God, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Before we get to those uh, two characters, I just want to talk to you about the importance of a preacher. Uh, The importance of a preacher cannot be understated. It's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout Ephesians. Uh, Without a preacher, this whole thing does not work. Uh, There's this uh, beautiful saying that is shared on Facebook all the time. You might have shared it at some point. It says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I love the sentiment behind it. Uh, You know, just live your life in such a way that you don't even have to tell people the gospel. They just see the gospel in your life because of how loving and kind you are. Isn't that a beautiful statement? The only problem is, is it's stupid, and it's not in the Bible. You have to use your words. Now, you should live in such a way that people look at your life and and they say, wow, something is different there. But when they see something different, you have to use your mouth to tell them the gospel. In fact, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. It says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on him, him being Jesus, will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great. Verse 14. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing? Everybody say hearing. Hearing. How do you hear? Well, somebody has to tell you. Without hearing, it says, about him. And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, Paul has just combined two words that should never go together, and that is beautiful and feet. Can I get an amen? amen. Don't like feet. But that, the idea here is that 
the, the preacher comes and he is the one who changes everything. One of the things we're looking at in Ephesians is kind of like, how does a raindrop uh, become a flood? Or how does a snowflake become a blizzard? How, how, does, how does God's plan take place through all of us corporately, but me as an individual? And the way that you're transformed as an individual is that a preacher comes into your life. A preacher breaks through the walls and tells you the good news. And the good news takes root in your heart and you are changed. And then you get to go out as this raindrop, if you will, and create other raindrops so that this flood comes. And it all comes through our preaching. And when you have received the good news, how beautiful does the word sound to you? How wonderful is it to have a preacher when you understand the gospel for what it is? And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Faith comes through hearing. Uh, when I first became a pastor, I had no idea what I was doing. I still have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm better at pretending now. And uh, this organization called me, and it was called Faith Comes Through Hearing. And uh, the guy said, have you ever heard of us? And I said, the phrase sounds really familiar to me, but I don't know where it came from. And the guy said, it came from the Apostle Paul. I just hung up at that moment because I felt like that was a huge pastor fell. I'm answering as a senior pastor, and I don't even know this. But I look at a lot of Christians, and I feel like you guys don't know this. How does faith come? Faith comes through hearing. As scary as it is, it comes through us proclaiming the gospel to people in our lives. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.13. In him, in Jesus, you also were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. When you heard, when you what? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The difference in a preacher is important. In fact, in the Old Testament, the reason why Israel is God's chosen people and Babylon is not is only because Israel had preachers. Israel had prophets giving their people the promises of God. Without the promises of God, we are lost in darkness. Without a preacher, we have no light. In fact, it is the difference between Judas and Peter, which is what I want to look at today. When we think about Judas and we think about Peter, Peter is the rock of the church. And Judas is one of the most hated people in all of the Bible. It's something we use as a joke uh, when we call somebody Judas. You don't name your son Judas. You might name your son Peter, though. And the only difference between the two is not that one was better than the other. The difference is one had a preacher and one did not. They both went to a preacher, but one went to a good preacher and one went to a bad preacher. We see this with Judas. Uh, after he has betrayed Jesus, he comes to the priest. This is in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, uh, and he says this. He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He's confessing his sin. That's a great thing to do. And he said, and then they said, what's that to us? Let me read it again. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. And the priest, the preachers, what do they say? What's that to us? And then here is how you are a bad preacher. See to it yourself. See, Judas, overcome with guilt and shame, goes to the people who are supposed to preach the promise of God to him, the priest. And what does he find? He finds, do it yourself. And friends, there are a lot of times where you can come into a church like this expecting to hear a preacher, and you know what you hear? Do it yourself. You come and the preacher says things like, make restitution. You need to apologize to people. You need to do all these things. And those things might be great things to do and things you ought to do. But those are not the things you want to hear from a preacher. You do not come to me because you want advice. You come to me so that you can hear me say on behalf of God for you that you are forgiven. And it's a promise. And it's a promise that has nothing to do with your performance and everything to do with what Jesus Christ has already accomplished on the cross for you. It's a promise that some of you find hard to believe because of what you've done. And because of what you think God cannot forgive. But it is a promise I am supposed to give you. And yet that is the promise that Judas does not receive. He comes to priest and he finds advice. He finds people telling him to do it yourself. 
And friends, you're going to have people in your life that come to you. And when they come to you, they're going to come to you full of guilt and shame because we all carry it around. And what you have an opportunity to do is to not be like the priest here, to not be like a priest who says, see to it yourself, to not give advice, to not tell them what to do different, but to simply give them the promise, which is what we see that Peter gets. Now, Peter, in many ways, uh, is worse than Judas. Uh, Judas only betrayed Jesus one time. Peter betrayed him over and over. And at the final dinner, who was it that said, if even if I have to die with you, I will not betray you? It was Peter. Peter's the guy who's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. Peter's the guy with ADHD. We don't know what he's going to say, but it's probably not going to be good. Peter, I love it, because right after Jesus calls him the rock of the church, not even two lines later, Jesus has to call him Satan to get behind him. This is Peter. He is a train wreck. And in fact, if you didn't know the Bible and you were just reading the Gospels for the first time ever, and I stopped you right before the Passion story, and I said, now one of these knuckleheads is going to betray Jesus, who do you think it is? Ain't none of you saying Judas. Everybody's saying, my money's on Peter. Peter's the knucklehead who's going to mess this whole thing up. And yet now the Catholics think that Peter was the first pope. How does this happen? What, what changed to make Peter the guy that we build amazing buildings after? And there's all these awesome paintings of him in Europe. The people in Europe don't even like Jesus, but they got paintings of Peter everywhere. Why? Because Peter had a preacher. That's the difference in Peter and Judas. Uh, this is what we find in John chapter 20 uh, after the resurrection. Uh, so this is John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. It says, when it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Now, this is interesting because as a preacher, what you've got to do sometimes is go through locked doors. Because people who are overcome with sin and guilt in their life, often the last thing they want to see is a guy like me. The last thing they want to see is a preacher. Because when we come to a preacher, part of us is afraid. But we're thinking that when we come before the man of God or the woman of God, what we're going to find is condemnation and guilt. That's what we all kind of fear. We all kind of think that about God, even in the back of our mind. Like, ah, man, I messed up really bad, so I should probably avoid church. Now, we probably all had that thought at some point or time in our lives. So we lock ourselves in a room. And that's exactly what the disciples do. Now, it says here they're afraid of the Jews. But really what they're afraid of is the big Jew. They're afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of the guy they had just betrayed. Now, if you and I, and you could be honest with me on this, uh, if you, please only men, because this will be embarrassing if ladies answer. But if you and I were to get in a fight, hypothetically, uh, and, and this is only hypothetical, I'm not going to fight any of you men, but just be honest with me, you're not going to hurt my feelings. How many of you think you could take me in a fight if we were fighting men? Okay, thank you. And for those of you who didn't answer, I appreciate it, because I know you're all looking at me like I could take Blake. I could. You're probably right. You know. But, but what, if, what if you saw me die? You came to my funeral. You saw me in the casket. Dead, cold, 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 dead. And they put me in the ground six feet under. And then three days later, you saw me show up. All of a sudden, you probably wouldn't be so sure you could take me in a fight. That guy's got some kind of power that I don't know anything about. Now, imagine you've betrayed the guy who said he was the Messiah, the son of God, the one who could calm the winds and the waves. And you've completely betrayed him. If you're Peter, you've cussed him out to a 13-year-old girl. He said, I do not know that man. And now you go to the tomb and it is empty and there are angels there and the angels tell you that that guy is risen. I tell you what I'm doing. I'm locking myself in a room because when Jesus shows up, when he breaks through, it's not going to be good for me. He's going to remember what I did. I'm going to face condemnation. I'm going to face guilt and I am going to face punishment for what I have done. And so they're locked in the room. And look what happens. Verse 20 as we continue on. Or 19, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them 
And this is what preachers are supposed to do. Jesus being the good preacher. He said to them, peace be with you. That's what I'm supposed to do as a preacher. You have peace with God. You are forgiven. In this moment where they are terrified, Jesus shows up and he looks at them. All of his betrayers right in the eyes and he says, peace be with you. Verse 20. And then here we see this authority that we are given as Christians even unto this day. Verse 20. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me. I also send you. And then after saying this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins, and this is amazing. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Isn't that amazing? The authority that Jesus has just given us. That was a verse I never even understood for a really long time. What does that mean? The sins I forgive are forgiven. The sins I retain are retained. What he's saying is, is he's left us in charge to steward the gospel. Every one of us, if you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Spirit. You have been given a hall pass. You've been given authority by Jesus Christ. It's kind of like when I was a kid and my parents, I'm the oldest, which is awesome. Uh, and my parents would leave me with my, uh, my siblings while they went on a date. They would say, just don't call us unless somebody's dying. Blake's in charge. Oh boy, that was good. That was awesome when they left me in charge. I had authority on the basis of mom and dad to do whatever I wanted. Now, unfortunately, mom and dad did show up and they frowned upon me shooting them with airsoft guns when they got back. But in the meantime, it was all mine. I had authority. I could tell them what to do. This is what Jesus says. I'm leaving you with authority. Maybe a better illustration would be uh, kind of what I do with Edward Jones. I, I take money and I put it into Edward Jones every month and I, I tell them to invest it for me. Now, I watch it, but I don't know about the stock market. So I'm trusting them to invest my money like it is their money because I want to retire one day and do missionary work with Taylor on the Florida beach somewhere. Can I get an amen? It's going to be going to be a glorious day. And that's why I give my money to Edward Jones. And I'm trusting them. I'm giving them authority to steward my money well. And the day is going to come in which I'm going to come and we're going to look and we're going to measure up accounts. And I hope that they did what they were supposed to do. Well, in the same way, friends, what Jesus is doing here is he gives us the gospel to steward. He says, this is yours to steward. How are you going to steward it? Are you going to hold it to yourself or are you going to give it out freely? Uh, I'll close with one more uh, Bible story. From uh, Matthew, as we go back to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 24, I believe it is. Usually I'd be more prepared than this, but uh, I wanted to finish this series today. And I have like 17 different things I want to say. Matthew chapter 25, parable of the talents. Let's look there. Uh, Verses 14 uh, on through verses 30. That's what we're going to look at as we close our time together today. Uh, This parable is often used, it's talked about money. Preachers talk about money and your your time, your talent, your treasures. Uh, Don't bury it in the ground. Give all your money to the church, which I'm all for you you giving all the money to the church. Uh, If I wanted to preach on giving, maybe I would preach it that way. But that's actually not what this is about. It's about what we've actually been stewarded to give. Uh, the, The most important thing that God has given us to steward, and that is the gospel, to tell people that they are forgiven when they come in our path. And we see it here, uh, what God wants us to do. Here's what he says. Uh, Jesus says this in the parable. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. Just like I give my possessions to Edward Jones. He says, I want you to invest this. Verse 15. To the one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. And just like I said at the beginning of this sermon, some of you are going to have one opportunity to share the gospel. Some of you are going to have thousands of opportunities to share the gospel. You will be judged at the end based upon what God gave you. 
based upon what Jesus entrusted to you to share. Uh, It says, immediately, the man who had received the five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. Begins giving out the gospel freely. Verse 17, in the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man, and this is what most of us do, because we fear men, because we're afraid of how people will respond to us, for whatever reason it might be. Verse 18, but the man who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, friends, if we're honest, we've all done this. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably had an opportunity to share the gospel. You probably felt an opportunity. Man, I should tell them about Jesus. I, I, I should proclaim the gospel to them. You feel it in your gut. And what do you do? You make an excuse. Say, oh, I'll just invite him to church, or maybe Pastor Blake will get him, or maybe God wants me to do something else with this person. And what are we doing? We're, we're burying what God has given us for that person in the ground. Verse 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. I skipped a few verses. 19. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached and presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Which is what I think we all want to hear on that day of judgment when we stand before Jesus. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, verse 22, the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Verse 24, the man who had received one talent also approached him and said, Master, I know you. You are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See what see you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he who will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw his good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness. It's probably not good to be called good-for-nothing by Jesus. But that's exactly what happens here when we bury our talent. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what are we to do as Christians? We're to take the seed of the gospel and to spread it. And it's not our responsibility what the soil is like. That's God's responsibility. We have no idea what the person is going through or how God has prepared them. We can tell ourselves this person would not receive it well. We do not know how they will respond. We do not know what has led up to them receiving the gospel. All we do is we trust God and we plant the seeds of the gospel. And then I think a thousand years from now, when we are in heaven with God, we are going to be amazed at what he has done through our spreading of the seeds. In fact, even just one gospel presentation... One time where one person receives the gospel can be something that God uses to produce more fruit than you can ever imagine. And in heaven, your riches will not be money. In heaven, your riches will be people. Your riches will be the inheritance of God's possession. You get to see how you were a part of God's plan for world domination. You get to see how God has used you in powerful ways. I think about the story of my favorite preacher. If the band wants to go ahead and come back up, I'm coming to a close. My favorite preacher, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. His conversion story is so fascinating to me uh, because he wasn't even trying to go to church. There was a blizzard in London. 15-year-old Spurgeon coming up a hill. A blizzard comes out of nowhere. He goes into this small little Methodist church because he wants cover. He's not going there for church. He's going there for cover and warmth. And a, a preacher who's not even the main preacher, he was just there because he could make it on that day, reads a verse from Isaiah chapter 45, and Charles Spurgeon's entire life is changed. 
Now, that one preacher, when he got up on that day, it was cold and it was snowing. He could have stayed home, but he went and he read Isaiah 45, 22, and he preached a sermon that Spurgeon couldn't even uh, remember. It was so unremarkable. <laughs> and I'm sure he went home. And if he's anything like me after preaching an unremarkable sermon, you kind of feel bad. You feel sad about what you've done. You think, man, that didn't work. Nothing happened in that place. Now, imagine that guy now. He's pointing at Charles Spurgeon. He's saying, that's my seed. I did that. Look at all these people. Look at all that's going on. It's because I shared the gospel on that day. He's got to be overjoyed with what God has done through that one seed that was planted. There's another guy I think of. His name is uh, Edward Kimball. Never heard of Edward Kimball. I'm sure that you haven't. He's a Sunday school teacher for little boys. And he had one little boy in his class named Dwight L. Moody, who went on to be one of the most famous preachers that we know of. Uh, preached to thousands and thousands of people. And all because this one Sunday school teacher preached the gospel to him. And Dwight Moody went on to preach. And there's a guy named Wilbur Chapman who came under his ministry. And he preached to thousands of people. Real interesting guy. He would promote his revivals by driving a hearse through the town, which I think is really cool. I want to buy a hearse and do that. But that's what he did. He, he drove a hearse through the town to get people to come to his revivals. And one of the people who came to that revival was a guy named Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham gave his life to Christ because of the preaching of Wilbur Chapman. And then Mordecai Ham was in North Carolina. And there was a little boy that we know as Billy Graham that came to his revival. And as of 2008, Billy Graham had preached the gospel to over 2.2 billion people. Why? Because there was a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball teaching to little boys, which if you've ever tried to wrangle little boys, you know how frustrating that must have felt. And he had no idea what that one seed and that one little boy would lead to years down the road and what it's still leading to. Friends, this is an amazing privilege. And I know it's scary in the moment, and I know sometimes you give it, and it feels like there is no response or it's not the right response, but you have no idea the fruit that God will produce when you are faithful to give the gospel to somebody who needs it. Let me pray. Father, there is so much more that needs to be said, but I pray, God, that I've, I've given at least a, a taste in the mouth for our people that they would want more of this. They would want to be preachers. They would want to overcome their fears and give the gospel to those in their lives who need it. God, we have enough advice in this world. What we need is people who are willing to give absolution, to say on the authority given to me by God, you are forgiven. And friends, if you would, with your eyes closed and head bowed, take about just 10 seconds and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Or maybe ask this question. Say, Holy Spirit, who are you calling me to give the gospel to this week? Father, I pray that you give us the courage to obey what you've called us to do. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. And if I could at this time get my ushers to come forward, uh, we're going to take our offering. We always respond in three ways to the, to the gospel message that is proclaimed through the sermon. Uh, we respond by giving, which is what we're about to do. So giving of our money. Uh, and if you're a visitor with us today, please do not give. We do not want your money. But if you are a Christian and you want to obey King Jesus and you want to give your tithes and your offerings, you want to do it out of the joy and the overflow of what he's given you to steward, then this is an opportunity for you to do that. Uh, as we pass the plates, there will be just music playing in the background. And that's because I want you to take a little bit more time to reflect upon what God is calling you to do. We live in a world that's full of noise and it's almost awkward for there to be silence. And yet that awkwardness is a good thing because it gives us time to hear that small, still voice of the Lord. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing and then we're going to go live lives to the praise of his glory. But first, let me pray over this offering and then we will begin the offering. Father, thank you for all that you've given us. Everything that we have is from you. 
Lord, we want to steward it well. So now we freely give back to you what you've given to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.